Hello, you're listening to the Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf Terry, and Luke Romsdorf Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. And on today's episode, we are talking about the 24th book in the series, The Cat Who Went Up the Creek. Cat, 24 of these. My <laughs> goodness. Cat Who Went Up the Creek. Now, yeah. so this book was published when? 2002. This isn't our first one of the new millennium, is no, it? No, no, that was the last one. That was the last one. I couldn't remember if that was 99. Well, technically two. Two ago, when we did 2000, since, as my father always says, you start counting with zero. <laughs> that, anyway, moving That's on. true. That is true. I could not remember if one of them was, if, if the last one was in 99 or mm-hmm. if it was in 2000. But either way, here we are. Here we are indeed. <laughs> Um, I, before we jump in, I think we need to, of course, say once again, spoilers ahead, so... And we can't get away with saying this is a 30-year-old book anymore because it's barely 20. No, because, well, it's not even that. It's not even, ni- it's would be 19 years old. Yes, not even 20, as I said. Well, that's, okay, true. <laughs> I, I heard barely 20. <laughs> Regardless, either way, this book uh, can vote, but it cannot buy alcohol. Yes, and it's still a number of years away from before it can rent a car or a U-Haul. Anyway, anyway. actually, not a U-Haul. Interesting story about that later on. But, uh, or not. But anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and I think let's go ahead and let's jump let's right jump in. Let's jump right in. All right. To the, yes, to the cat went up the creek. So this book starts with a very strange tangent about the mosquito-repelling properties of Moose County potatoes. <laughs> As featured in the Quill Pen's annual, apparently, Skeeter Week column. Now, granted, he's only had this for three or four years, but apparently that's enough to have something be annual. Um, we're also going to talk about the soon-to-be annual Limerick contest that he started last summer. Uh, everyone keeps asking him throughout this book if there will be a second Limerick contest this summer, which he agrees that there should be. Um, and I will read some of my favorite limericks uh, at the end of this. Oh, there are limericks Oh, there included. are most definitely limericks. Oh, well, Remember, that's good. let's all ha- t- take a moment and go back to what Lillian Jackson Bronze started her career doing. Writing poetry for a sports magazine. <laughs> so very clearly she does have limericks. She has a, a really a great poetic sense, but it tends to showcase itself best when it's short. Hmm. Um, limericks she does particularly well, and there are a lot of really fun ones throughout here. So um, I will read my favorites at the end. Excellent. Um, It is mid-June, which means, once again, Quill is contemplating what to do with himself while Polly goes to visit her sister for a few weeks. (laughs) Fortunately, at that moment, he gets a call from Lori Bamba, now the innkeeper with her husband Nick, of the new Nutcracker Inn in Black Creek. Since Coco alerted him to the call, we can only assume that all is not well. And, of course, Lori asks Quill to come to the inn while Nick is out getting plumbing fixtures, because something is up. Turns out, something at the inn is clouding Lori's usual sunny disposition. Hmm. She's not sure what, so Quill offers to move in for a few weeks with the cats, of course, (laughs) to see what he can figure out. Bid to Polly farewell for her vacation with the demand that he will live to regret, which is he demands more news about her trip. Oh, boy. Ooh. Remember when he asked her for more postcards and she he got one literally every day? Well, prepare for a postcard every hour. <laughs> so he packs up the cats, gets ready to head, head to Black Creek. But first he gets to judge an art show at the art center of third grade self-portraits. They, so they, the first person, we need a judge for these third grade portraits. How about Quill? Well, to be fair to them, number one, he lives down the road. So it's not like <laughs> So there's no 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 issue with parking. It's not like he's going out of his way to do this. But the other thing is that you put his and and he realizes this and talks about it that it doesn't really matter what the event is. He knows perfectly well and the rest of the world knows perfectly well that if you put his name with something, it will automatically make it more interesting to people to read about, hear about or see. No, that's very true. He is a local celebrity. Exactly. He is the richest man within 400 miles. So Easily. I understandable completely mm-hmm. so we all we learn at this art show that things haven't really panned out with uh barry morgan um because barb ogilvy is back to batting her eyelashes at quill to get him to, again to to get him once again to agree to things uh her reasoning for why the engagement was called off was she was perfect for him but he wasn't perfect for her mm. when quill says who would be perfect for for you she says you <laughs> and it's like, oh, great. More <laughs> more gold digging. Just Slightly maybe. awkward. Yes. Um, Quill then invites her to dinner at the Nutcracker Inn at some point during his tenure so they can, you know, catch up I for whatever reason. That's just an <laughs> odd thing to do. But plot. Plot. 
Um, yes, and we, Lord knows, but the past few of them, we need it. We need plenty we need of some it. Plot. Um, so then as he's uh, finish, finishing up his packing, Brody stops by for a farewell drink, and they reminisce about Gustav Limburger, which if anybody remembers back in The Cat Who Said Cheese, mm-hmm. Limburger, cheese, ha. Yeah, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> it, just remember that the Nutcracker Inn was once the Limburger Mansion. Um we know that Limburger proposed to Lois and that she chased him out of her cafe with a rolling pin. But according to Brody, Limburger pr- used to propose to every female. Young, old, married, single, pretty, ugly. Oh, wow. I mean, we didn't need the last two. But, um, <laughs> and he always proposed to them the same way. Come marry me and run my home like a boarding house. Apparently, there were so many complaints that they threatened to arrest him for disturbing the peace. Oh, wow. <laughs> So fun little side story. So um, they this is they keep him around and give him that warning, and then you have this terrible mayor as well too. It's yeah, the politics of Moose County is baffling. It it is true. Um, also for weird things in Moose County, Brody leaves mentioning that he has to pick his wife up from church, but he arrived at ten p.m. I'm not sure if this is code that he just needs to go home or whether his wife is doing some crazy volunteering that runs until almost midnight at the church. Church lock-in, maybe? I don't know. A very intense choir practice? I got nothing. Um, uh, I mean, 10 o'clock, yeah, I can see things ending, but 11 to midnight is a little odd. That is that is very odd, yes. Um, our, the next thing that we get to is Quill decides that for his evening reading, he's going to pull out a story for his eventual book. This is the short and tall tales that he's that you can actually buy. And this is The Legend of the Rubbish Heap, which tells <laughs> the story of how the Klingenshun and, Lim- and Limburger families were at one point intertwined after an original business partnership forged when two when the two men found money in a rubbish heap and tore it in half to signify a partnership. Um, and that went on to dominate the food and shelter industry in Moose County. Uh, they planned, uh, things were going very well. They named their children after each other and then things went south. Um, and they tore up the money and everything was bad. Um, their children actually ended up marrying, um, against their will. Um, but then, uh, Klingenshon lost all the money in the, uh, in, in the, in the crash, uh, Fanny Klingenshun eventually recovered all of the fortune, which then allowed the K-Fund to purchase the crumbling Limburger properties and restore them to glory as the Nutcracker and Macintosh Inns, um, which is all a very interesting chunk of history. And now we get to see how, how it comes to, into play, because for a change, these stories that they're, that we're telling in the short and tall tales actually have a lot to do with this book. Huh. So that's how it starts. So we get to the Nutcracker Inn. Quill welcomes the cat to, of course, the Nutcracker Suite, which is where they'll be staying. Um, he's mildly threatening to the MCCC student porter with violence from Coco, if Coco is referred to as Kitty ever again. Um, and then Quill gets to work because he immediately discovers a locked door to the turret tower that has somehow never occurred to maintenance genius Nick Bamba to pick the lock before so, Quill's arrival. How long has it been locked then? Um, since they took over the property and they apparently went through the entire renovation and never bothered to unpick this lock. That's just... Uh, weird. That's that's weird and that's just... I mean, to some extent, uh, Nick Bomba's explanation for it is, well, we lost the key and we all kept expecting that we'd find the key and we never did and then we never bothered to pick the lock. I don't. This is one of those things that you find like on social media is like, oh, I found a hidden door behind this drywall. What's behind there? And then there's like a medieval dungeon or something. Yes. It's not even behind drywall. It's just a door. I know. that, that it's, an, it's not like it's you have to find this. It's been there. Yeah. And they had to obviously renovate the door because I'm not, I'm assuming they didn't just leave it, you know, scrabbly and ugly while they renovated the rest <laughs> of the house. So and they, in order to do that, you would have to take the door off the hinges. So there was a time, so that they just put, I don't know. put anyway, a curtain up against it or something? Whatever happens. Um, Listeners write in <laughs> the, the, with your theories of the of, the of how they managed to leave this door untouched. This is the greatest mystery of the book, I bet. Yes. Um, so, but, but, but uh, you know, long story short, Nick Bomba comes up, he picks the lock, um, and when the door's opened... Okay. So... All that aside, Nick comes, he picks the lock, and the door opens to reveal a staircase carved from a single log of black walnut. See? The wood is everywhere. And 
a whole bunch of furniture, including some pieces, including three mirrored pieces, all with the mirrors cracked in the same place. Hmm. And a chest. We haven't looked at that yet. Um, Koku is intrigued, but instead of rushing up the staircase like Quill expects him to, he sniffs the old furniture and investigates a drawer which Quill then ignores. Um, after this uh, this adventure, Quill gets the lay of the land, visiting the main inn and the five cottages on the property, which hold a mix of people, some listening to classical music, one singing Gilbert and Sullivan, the Pirates of Penzance, um, <laughs> some sitting on the porch glaring at passerbyers, and then he has dinner with Arch and Mildred, who catch him up on the uh, pickaxe gossip, because Fran Brody and Dr. Prelegate, the MCCC president, have been seen at the Palomino Paddock drinking champagne. Oh, my. Ooh. Oh, now, after dinner, they insist on seeing this hidden staircase because Arch wants it photographed for the paper because of it's, it's a big discovery. Um, while they're in there, Mildred opens the chest that they found to discover it's a dower chest. It's filled with 100-year-old bridal finery, which was never worn with the name Elsa Limburger on the chest. Oh. Now, according to Quill's tall tale, this means that the chest was left behind when Elsa ran away from her proper wedding to elope with the Klingenschoen heir. Um, and according to records, the two died in the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. Mm. So obviously, as I said, Arch wants the stair photographed. Um, so Quill and Nick arranged to have all the old furniture moved out. Um, again, the, Quill finally realizes about those broken mirrors on the various pieces and suggests that they move it to a storage unit rather than the basement, considering Laurie's already very strong superstition about the house being under a black cloud. Because good move, three bro- broken mirrors has a lot of bad luck to have in one place. Especially that they're all in the same location, too. Yes. Yeah, something is creepy about that. We never really get an idea of what broke them. We have some suspicions, but no solid. Um, it's kind of a letdown. It, it, it is a little bit. Um, meanwhile, we are introduced to Nell and Dr. Bruce Abernathy, uh, the Black Creek physician who writes well thought out letters to the paper about the discretion of local communities by the moving of the post office. And his reasoning is sound on this because when the post office moves in small communities, other businesses move with it, leaving the original Main Street behind. Um, they are working on a luncheon with a guest speaker for MCCC and Nell promises to make her famous black walnut pie if Quill will agree to attend. Hmm. Um... Quill agrees enthusiastically, as I said, but he doesn't tell them that he'd go without the pie because he's been trying to nose his way into the academia clique around the college for ages. And, <laughs> and curiosity hasn't killed the cat yet, but it's come pretty close a couple but the, of times. It has made the mustache tingle. Absolutely. Um, Bruce mentions a story for Quill's book, which is supported by a yow from Coco. Um, it should be mentioned that Coco's yow comes from the third floor and Quill and the Abernathys are down in the lobby. So Quill quickly agrees to hear the tale to avoid any more yowing. <laughs> After that, Quill decides to take Coco for a walk by the creek. Coco is harnessed, leashed, riding on Quill's shoulder, um, when the Aww. cat draws his attention to something floating down with the current on the creek. Oh. It's a body. Mm. Face down, fully clothed, Quill rushes to one of the cabins to call for help and notices that the cabin's occupants get very upset about the drowning, which turns out to be because her husband drowned on a fishing boat a few years ago. Um, understandably still traumatized. Her name is Hannah Hawley. And it turns out that Quill actually wrote about her husband's death a few books back. Oh, when yes. When he was studying about yes, it. Yes, yes. When he, when he was on the fishing boats. Mm-hmm. So, interestingly, we don't get any cop scenes, but we assume that they came for the body because Quill then chats with Hannah about her hobby. Well, kind of hope so. Yeah. Um, her hobby is making doll furniture, of all things. Um, they go to dinner, and he learns that she's also singing in the Muslim Corral's Pirates of Penzance, which Arch asked Quill to review. He declined, but now he's changed his mind with Hannah when Hannah invites him to the performance. Of course he does. Uh, of course he does. Um, then he talks to Lori, who's thrilled that the old furniture is gone because she is feeling much better. I cannot blame her. Um, <laughs> later, Nick asks Quill to come take a look at one of the cabins because a guest named Hackett was supposed to check out and hasn't yet. They find his cabin about half-packed, no sight of the guests. Coco, however, is very interested in the man's denture bath, shoes, and foot powder for reasons that I'm sure will become clear later. Um, <laughs> just as they're leaving WPKX... Uh, reports, we didn't realize the radio was on, but apparently it was. It reports a description of a man found in the creek wearing dentures and has a distinctive birthmark, which matches the description, of course, of the missing Hackett. Interesting. The next thing, um, I started counting this. We are reminded frequently in this book, up to six times at this point in the book, that a cuckoo clock was promised to Aubrey Scotton in The Cat Who Said Cheese. Said clock has not been found. Quill still holds out hope. 
But he keeps thinking about the clock every time that there is the possibility of a clock, a cuckoo clock. It doesn't matter. Remember, Aubrey Scotton was promised the cuckoo clock. Yeah, we got it. We got it. We can move on from the cuckoo clock. In Quill, Quill's mentality has to be something along the lines of, well, he found Iris's cookbook. He can find a cuckoo clock, too. Um, later that day, Barb Ogilvy comes to dinner at the inn, propositions Quill again, which she declines. And then she mentions that in addition to managing the art center, her knitting club is knitting striped socks for the Pirates of Penzance, with additional <laughs> pairs for tourists to buy. Of course. She, of course, offers a pair to Quill, but he once again declines, this time claiming they'd scare the cats. I think Barb would scare the cats, too. Um, <laughs> a side note, I do have to say, the spirit of community here is pretty amazing. I cannot think of a knitting club that would willingly donate that much time and material to make anything for well, a production. Also, exactly. And also plenty for the tourists as well. So it's yeah. not just for costumes. It's, oh, here's a commemorative set of knitted socks exactly. for our production of Pets It's very um, sweet, actually. Anyway, very strange. But that's, I think, the last we hear of Barb for the book. Um, hmm. Thank God. Because, <laughs> you know, there's only so much. There's only so many times you can have somebody far too young proposition Quill when he's not interested. Um, it does get old. No, fair enough. After that dinner, Quill gets a call from our good friend Roger McGilvery at the mm, something Roger. with news. Oh. Because Roger knows that the death wasn't a drowning, but a homicide. Oh. With the actual cause of death being a blow to the head before the body was dumped in the river. Obviously. Freak, whatever. Um, currently, it is being reported as an accident to keep a suspect from going fugitive. And this makes Quill's mustache start to tingle. It may have something to do with the new Black Forest Conservancy woods, which is where the creek originates. Um... Later, he wanders by the cabins to run an unofficial poll on squirrels, pest or asset. He needed something to write about for the quill pen, obviously. He's that desperate for articles. Yep. Um, while he's out, he finds Hannah and her neighbors, uh, Wendy and Doyle Underhill, celebrating the departure of another guest. Remember the woman who was sitting on the porch scowling? Mm -hmm. That was the uh, ill-tempered, overly rich woman named Mrs. Truffle, who's gone back to Minneapolis for business, and everyone hopes she will stay there. Mrs. Truffle. Mrs. Truffle, yes. Um... <laughs> Hannah, Wendy, and Doyle uh, invite Quill to a party he attends with pleasure, and they're later joined by another couple, Marge and Joe, and their young son, Danny, who are all polite, but they're a little shy. Hmm. Um, the next day, Quill goes to visit the Abernathys to get the uh, the story and notices a strangely familiar cuckoo clock on the wall. Oh. That aside, Quill listens to Abernathy's story about his visits from a German wood sprite, which inspires him, which inspired Abernathy to plant a grove of black walnut trees that he is still nurturing to this day. Um, he calls them his children's inheritance because black walnut is incredibly <laughs> valuable. So it's not a terrible idea. We've had this discussion when we were looking at because there is a recipe for the black walnut cake. Yes. And how much was it? The, the black walnuts? Well, the original amount that I looked at was uh, $18 a pound. Jeez. Um, I did manage, when I went to the source, because there is a specific a group of black walnut growers, um, and there it was only $13 a pound. That's still a lot. Yeah, it's still quite a bit. Um, so Quill then tries Nell's black walnut pie, which is, he says, if possible, better than advertised. Mm. Um, so it might be something interesting to try, but... It's as as Nell will tell everyone the secret to her pie is maple is maple syrup and vinegar. Uh, you had me. And the then you logic lost is me. actually very sound <laughs> because you know you've got the maple syrup for the sweetness, so it's not super sweet, like adding a whole bunch of sugar, right? Um, and then you've got the vinegar to cut the the which manages to balance out the bitterness of the walnuts and the sweetness of the maple syrup. In theory, it works. I would be now okay. I am curious now to try because, as you know, maple is one of my favorite flavors yes. of any of anything really. So mm -hmm. interesting. We'll have to find some black walnuts, perhaps. We might have to look that up. Um, so at this point, Quill is for some reason wondering if he missed out by not marrying, but decides fates had other plans, and <laughs> Polly wouldn't make this something this fattening anyway. Let's be honest. No, um, uh, too much flattened chicken. Too much. Yes, yes. The the woman, if the the queen of the flattened chicken breasts, is not going to be making you black walnut pie. No. Um, Speaking of Polly, Quill has been getting regular postcards with news, including that Polly has met an interesting antique dealer from Ohio. <laughs> um, Quill doesn't have too much time to ponder that because the cleaning crew is done with the victim's cabin and Quill and the cats can move in so he can quit terrifying people from the third floor of the inn. <laughs> with his yow. Yes. Um, and then he also gets an invite from Roger to see a historical reenactment of a brawl at the hotel booze. Hmm. Clean and educational, Roger claims. <laughs> um, <laughs> Minus you have to listen to people talk about uh, getting their teeth fixed, which is apparently a logger euphemism for going to see a prostitute. Wow. 
<laughs> that's that's still defined as clean. That's still clean. Under, under Roger's uh, well, definitions. It's, maybe it's just a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more to the denizens uh, of Moose County. Yes, so. Um, so Quill has to then repack the cats to get down to the cabin, and there is a highly entertaining cat chase um, <laughs> with Yum Yum. We'll talk about that later. So they make it down. They're greeted by Hannah and Wendy, who are bearing iced tea and cookies. Wise, wise women. Um and when Quill asks where Doyle is, apparently Doyle likes to canoe and photograph the local wildlife while Wendy listens to classical music and writes her family history back in their cabin. Hmm. Coco discovers that a pair of shoes belonging to the previous occupant have been left behind, and he is still intrigued, but only with the left shoe. New leather, foot powder, something else entirely? Foot Quill pow- isn't sure. Foot powder, perhaps? No, who mm-hmm. knows? Um, what is sure is that the cats hate the return Mrs. Truffle as much as everybody else, and they, however, manage to successfully drive her away by howling bloody murder while Quill is at dinner with Roger. Um, I feel bad for Nick and Lori, but no one seems to miss this random cranky character when she's Ms. gone. Mrs. Truffle can go away. She can go away. I don't understand why she's there, but anyway. Um, so now once the chaos is settled, Quill investigates the shoes and remembers... A story he did as a cub reporter at the Superior Shoe Company, where he learned about hidden compartments and shoe heels used to hide gold, diamonds, and so forth. And sure enough, when he peels back the heel pad and metal plate, he finds a shoe full of gold nuggets. Hmm. So apparently, this guy Hackett was operating in the Black Forest Conservancy when he was killed. But Quill's not sure if it was by a partner or a competitor. He then calls Homer Tibbet, as one does, to learn if there was ever really a gold rush in Moose County history, which there wasn't officially. Um... That being said, Rhoda tells him to call Gil McMurchie, who used to sell panning equipment and sluice boxes, and Homer says to call Thornton Haggis, who used to take his kids panning. Quill, ever the overachiever, calls both. But Thornton's <laughs> the only one who actually gets back to him. Um, we don't get we don't get a, re- a reunion with Gil McMurchie, which does make me a little bit mm, sad. That is sad. Um, so Quill meets Thornton at, the na- at, of course, our favorite nasty pasty in Mooseville. Um, and we learn that it's a common local belief that three veins of gold run under the Black Creek exciting every generation for 100 years. And Thornton spent a summer prospecting with his kids, and they did find some small nuggets, which they embedded in plastic for keychains, which Thornton then shows Quill. Um, but nothing terribly nothing lucrative. or hugely lucrative, no big finds. Hmm. Um, no, and, and everyone, you know, goes out and has some fun, and then they forget about it until the next generation gets excited. So it goes in a cycle like this, it then, does. with this. Interesting. After <laughs> uh, lunch with Thornton, Quill goes to the opening night of Pirates of Penzance, where Hannah sings Ruth and everyone enjoys themselves. Uh, the next day, Quill goes out to explore the Conservancy on his trail bike and for some reason puts on a tight-fitting purple and green suit, a yellow spherical helmet, and large black sun goggles, an outfit which he describes as frightening the cats, and quite frankly, everyone else. That would be very... I'm just picturing this outfit right now. On a now. 60-year-old man. Is he riding a penny farthing while doing it, too? I don't that's know. The only well, thing it's that's a trail bike, so... So it's going to have big tires no matter what. Exactly. Now, on his ride, um, outfits aside, he discovers a truck marked Diamond Moving with Wisconsin plates deep in the conservatory story and far from the established road. The driver claims that he's just, just taking a break. Hmm. And Quill moves on, doesn't really think about it. Um, at one point he has to, but remembers that one point he has to lift his bike over a fallen tree. But on the way back, the truck is gone. And Quill remembers, so was the tree. Hmm. Hmm. Mustache is a tingling now. It is indeed. Hmm. Um, Quill returns in time to shower before he has lunch with Bart, his attorney, who talks to him about exactly what the Black Forest Conservancy is. It's new, and the goal is apparently to prohibit timbering and removal of plant life or minerals, which, by the way, includes gold. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Hmm. Wondering. In passing, Bart then mentions a new partner at the firm, Mavis Adams from Minnesota, who likes cats and has an idea for a new animal rescue program. We assume she's also a good lawyer, but apparently that wasn't the interesting thing about her. <laughs> more, th- let's talk more about the cats, not her legal career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, later, he invites Brody over for a chat, and while he's waiting for him to arrive, we per- he peruses Polly's latest postcard. She's in Connecticut trying Navy Grog with Walter, who we assume is the interesting antique dealer. <laughs> and jealousy begins. Oh, dear. Ooh. Quill. Quill and Polly. Such a weird relationship. Yeah. Um, Brody reveals that Hackett was not, as he claimed, a salesperson of building supplies. The company that he claimed to work for and had a credit card for had never heard of him. That's a little bit scary. Hmm. Um, And then Brody is very surprised when Quill reveals the gold nugget in the shoe heel. Um, Quill then suggests that Hackett might have been diving or panning for gold and was hit on the head when he surfaced. 
and then also suggests that Hackett might have learned about the upcoming prohibition on removing minerals from the Conservancy, leading to him to exploit his find a little faster than he might have otherwise. Brody leaves full of good scotch, good cheese, and carrying the shoes to be examined by the forensic lab. <laughs> Shouldn't every evening end like that? Uh, you know, if somebody's going to hand me shoes with go- shoes with gold in the heel at the after giving me good scotch and good cheese, I think it's going to be a great night. I could not agree more. <laughs> So the next morning, Quill heads into Pickaxe for a newspaper and runs into er- our darling friend Ernie Kemple on the way. Ah, uh, Ernie. Um, which leads to a delightfully gossipy detour to the Dimsdale Dismal Diner. Um, <laughs> the Triple D. The Triple D. Um, sadly, we learn that Ernie's getting a divorce because his wife met another man at her family ranch, which is where she took her, their daughter after things went very, very sour in the cat who tailed the thief. Um, so he gave her the divorce and the million dollar collection of dolls. And I think he may have come off better in that deal. Um, now he's met a nice widow and is opening his dream antique mall in the newly revitalized Black Creek downtown. And uh, Quill guesses correctly that he might be interested in showcasing the furniture from the hidden room at the Nutcracker and offers to write a pamphlet about them. Um, like I, it, And when I was going through this originally, I didn't catch the fact that the mirrors were all cracked the same way. So there's a note about how that was so creepy. Hmm. Um, now that I knew that that was happening, I, I had to go back through and he did mention it. It just, I was, it didn't I, was more inter- I was more interested in the bridal chest. Ah. I, I gotta be honest. There is some judicious fibbing, um, a few phone calls and suddenly the furniture is insured for $75,000 accredited wow. by Susan Exbridge and filed with the K fund attorneys with hints of historical, with a historical museum in the works. Oh my. But as Quill says, starting an unfounded rumor is one of the chief pleasures of living 400 miles north of everywhere. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Especially when you've got the money to back it up. Oh, of course. Um, so that night, he then takes Hannah and the two Underhills to dinner to celebrate the closing of Pirates. Uh, Doyle mentions that he can only shoot wildlife from the creek since Wendy doesn't want him going ashore. She's worried about black bears, which is fair in a nature preserve, mm-hmm. which is called the Black Forest because of its proliferation of black bears. Not because it's a chocolate and cherry cake. Exactly. <laughs> um, Hannah, meanwhile, is concerned about the neglected child living with his parents in the cabin next door to hers. She's planning to offer to let him come play with the toys she keeps for her grandson, uh, who's about the same age. And apparently there are some new guests that claim to be fly fishers, but Wendy thinks they're cops working on the Hackett murder. It's an awkward end to dinner, but, That's, you know, at least yeah. there was black walnut pie. Well, that will soothe any uh, sort of awkwardness and make things a little bit more pleasant, I exactly. bet. <laughs> so the next day, while avoiding writing his column, Quill talks to Bart about funding an art book of Moose County photography featuring Bushy, of course. Of course! Um, Bushy's got an exhibition at the art show. Um, and Quill suggests Doyle, although Quill realizes... Oh, what at the art show? Um, he's got an exhibition at the, uh, the art center. Okay. Sorry. And then Quill suggests Doyle, although Quill realizes as he's saying this, he's never actually seen any of Doyle's photos since um, Doyle was planning to take the exposed film home before developing anything. a little awkward. Yes, but this is back in the day of, you know, having to develop film. film. Um, So apparently Bushy has met the Underhills and likes them, but despite Doyle's claimed credentials, he doesn't remember seeing any of his published work, and we've seen cons like this before. Mm. Um, So... The other thing that Quill notices that is interesting is while Bushy is excited by the prospect, Doyle is cool. So we'll see how it um, pans out. I wrote that and then realized <laughs> it was a pun. I was hoping so. As yes. soon as it... <laughs> um, so with that, with that set into the works, Quill then joins the Rikers for dinner and a show, The Brawl at the Hotel Booths, which is <laughs> Roger's reenactment project. Um, the clean reenactment The clean project. reenactment. What, um, have to go see a dentist. Uh, get, get the teeth fixed. Get the teeth get, fixed. Get your teeth fixed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the Rikers note that the Dunfield property has finally been sold. Um, remembering this is where our dear friend uh, Buck Dunfield was mm. horribly murdered mm-hmm. in uh, the, cat who, the Cat Who Played Brahms. Um, apparently the widow had to tear down the house and then sell the land as is because the vibes were just that bad on the house. Wow. So now they've got a new house that's gone up that's all modern and with nothing resembling connected. Absolutely, completely just scorched earth on that They place, had I'm to. Sure. I mean, they, they had been talking about, they, they, you know, we had that one summer with the cra- with the weird lady, um, I think it was the cat who saw stars, mm-hmm. with the lady who just 
found out that found out what happened and like took off in the middle of the night. Jeez. Um, apparently, they'd been trying to rent it and people just wouldn't stay more than a couple of weeks. Mm. The the vibes were just that bad. It's some places if there's that kind of a bad stuff that happens there, I I do not doubt it. Yeah. Oof. So scorched earth there. Um, back to the reenactment. It's reenactment. It's well done. But afterwards, as Quill chats to a performer who apparently usually teaches math at the high school, um, <laughs> he. He learns that a man with out-of-state plates, possibly that with Wisconsin plate, Uh um, is looking for extras for a movie to be made about the lumberjack era. Quill's mustache then starts tingling. Is it a movie or a cover-up for illegal logging? Another suspicious thing, the next morning Doyle is in his canoe paddling into the conservancy when he's supposed to be prepping photo samples to present to the K-Fund board. Um, Attempting, for the first time in my recollection, to actually mind his own business... At least for now. Quill heads to lunch, but he comes back to find Wendy pacing her porch. Because Doyle was supposed to return by three, and now it's almost four. Hmm. They hear two gunshots, which Quill claims are rabbit hunters, until he hears a blood-chilling howl from Coco. Uh Uh-oh. All is not well. Quill grabs Nick. They take a motorboat up the creek, with Coco leashed and riding on Quill's shoulder again. They find the canoe and his backpack, but no Doyle. At that point, Nick calls the sheriff. Hannah takes Wendy to the hospital because her panic attack is causing her arms to go numb. Oof. Apparently, she has a heart condition that cause, that is exacerbated by anxiety. Ugh. So this is so not a good situation. Scary as hell. Um, so to the hospital with Wendy. The search teams work all night. Quill is upset because after hearing Coco's death howl, he's 90% sure that Doyle isn't going to be found alive. Um, Bushy then develops Doyle's prints and sends them over to Quill, and Bart has canceled the K-Fund meeting that they were supposed to go to. Looking over the prints, Quill sees some that are good, some that aren't, and is starting to wonder if he may have dodged a bullet trying to put Doyle's work against Bushy's. Hannah comes by to give an update on Wendy. She's stable. Her mother will be arriving in a few hours. And then Hannah also reports um, about another delinquent dad situation. Uh-oh. Apparently, Marge came over asking if Hannah had any milk she could feed to Danny because Joe has disappeared and left her with no money and no food. All of Verona and Baby and the cat who talked to ghosts. Mm. We've seen this before. Marge claims Joe's been out fishing every day, but Hannah is a fishing widow and she knows that the boats don't go out during the week this early in the summer. Uh-oh. Something is clearly, please forgive me, fishy. I saw this coming. I know. I saw it I coming. know, but I couldn't resist. That's okay. I would be disappointed if you didn't. Exactly. <laughs> so now Joe, so now Quill is starting to wonder if Joe is in league with Hackett um, and that he wasn't fishing but panning for gold. And he doesn't have much time to wonder, though, because he's due at the inn for the MCCC luncheon. It is now that he learns that he has made a grave miscalculation because MCCC in this case does not stand for the Moose County Community College, but the Mustache Cup Collectors (laughs) Club. Quill quickly revises his speech as he learns what a mustache cup is. I'll post some pictures on the website. But basically, back in the days when men wax their mustache, and I realize that men do that t- t- uh, today, but it's not quite as common not nearly as it was. Yeah. Um, but either way, hot beverages would melt the wax and have it drip into the drink. So mustache cups allowed them to drink through a hole that kept the mustache from coming in contact with the hot beverage. <laughs> Quill is saved from this and doesn't have to stay long because Nick Bamba sneaks in to report that they found Doyle's body. Ah. He's been shot. Left for the wolves. Uh, of course. Uh, literally left for the wolves. Uh, they found Jeez. him gnawed. Um, Lori's had to notify Dr. Diane at the hospital so that Di- Dr. Diane can keep Wendy sedated. And Quill heads back to the cabin where he finds a token of the mustache cup, uh, cup collector's esteem. A mustache mug and saucer. Now, to be fair to them, at least they knew to avoid giving him finger trap handles. <laughs> So, points for paying attention. Um, at that point, to be helpful, Quill picks up Wendy's mother from the airport. We confirm that Wendy must avoid stress because of her heart condition. Mm-hmm. Um, he's able to confirm to her that they found Doyle's body, but no other details, and drops her off. And then he starts to w- try and remember when he heard Coco howl and when Wendy heard gunshots, um, which are, if you think about it, about the same time. Hmm. In a conversation with Bart, then Quill shows his theory that both Hackett and Doyle were murdered by the same person, but for two different reasons. He smugly tells Bart that he has a hunch who the perpetrator is, but he's not willing to reveal it yet. <laughs> I am rolling just, my eyes so hard just right now. Say, yeah, no, it, it's v- very, very loud eye rolling. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, just just say your theory. Let's not be smug about this. And it gets worse because Quill heads into Pickaxe to deliver his column, and then he stops at Lois's for pie, coffee, and news. Um, and when the news report comes, it's not good. To uh-huh. add to all of the stress, a woman jumped or fell from the old stone bridge, and the body had to be retrieved by the sheriff. Jeez, I'm a very um, high body count this morning. It really is. When Quill gets back to the Nutcracker Inn, Hannah comes to see him with further news. 
Danny was left on her doorstep that morning with a note in his shirt pocket. It's Marge's suicide note. It Jeez. is later confirmed that she was the un- unidentified body that jumped uh. from the Oyster Bridge. Um, with the help of the K-Fund, Hannah and her new fiancé, who is the conductor of Pirates, named Uncle Louie. Um, His name is Uncle Louie? He's known as Uncle Louie in the community. Known as, known as Uncle Louie. Well, known as Uncle Louie. So his name um, is not Uncle. No, his name is not Uncle. His name is Louie, but he's known as Uncle Louie. <laughs> to everyone. Um, anyway, Hannah and Uncle Louie are going to adopt Danny and give him a real home. Um, in Marge's note, she calls Joe a bad, bad man. Um, I'm going to assume that Marge is not the most... Is not in possession of the richest vocabulary known to man. Um, no. It, it feels like the child was writing this, not a woman. Not a grown woman, is is what I'm trying to say. Hmm, okay. Um, because a bad, bad man is an understatement for someone who murdered two people in cold blood that we know of at this point. Um, so Quill is now starting to wonder, is Lori, is, is, is Lori right? And the Nutcracker Inn is jinxed? We moved the glass. We, we moved the glass. That's it's supposed to make it better. That may not be enough. But fortunately, Quill has Doyle's photographs, which include shots from that party when first when Quill first was introduced to everybody. Joe was there, and so was March. Hmm. Both were photographed, so Quill was able to turn the photos over to the police to help in their investigation and allow Marge to be identified. Um, Quill then switches gears to attend Scottish Night, hosted by Ernie Kempel and his new partner, Annie, uh, uh, Anne Monroe. She's, she's an older woman. She's not an Annie. Um, she's an <laughs> Anne Monroe at their new antique mall. There is a lot of gossip. Apparently, Ernie's wife is now asking for a reconciliation, and he says, no way. Oh, my. And then Quill discovers a cuckoo clock that may or may not be the original one from the Limburger Mansion. It's near enough to claim as the same, so he buys it with the intent to present it to Aubrey Scotton via him. How lovely. Now that story is finished. I do not know why we needed 20 mentions of, <laughs> of the, the, the cuckoo clock was promised to Audrey. We got it. That's that's the biggest. It's the, 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 the not a mulligan. It's the. No, it's a red herring. Red. It's, it's, you know. You, you think you, it's going to lead somewhere. I mean, it doesn't. It, it's, it's attempted misdirection, particularly in the case of the Abernathys, where you think Dr. Abernathy is going to turn out to be the bad guy who stole the cuckoo clock. It's, um, but yeah. no. But no. It's spoiler alert. It's P- it's Pietro showing up. <laughs> she recast Pietro. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then you think, oh, this is going to lead somewhere. No, it doesn't. <laughs> spoiler after, alert for one division. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> All of that aside, Quill returns to the cabin, and Coco has scattered Doyle's photos everywhere. And Quill, knowing that some of them will be licked, decides to just go to bed, reasoning that it would be easier <laughs> to look for rough spots in the morning. How he far is getting blasé at his old age. How far we have. Come to waiting is like, ah, fine, I need, I need, I need, I need sleep. I'm going to do this my, in the morning. If I don't get my eight hours, I am a bear. <laughs> so sure enough, one photo has men who are recognized as Joe, who was the supposed movie scout, and someone else who often filled up an out-of-state truck at the Black Creek gas station and ordered from the lunch counter. Quill goes to pick up Polly from the airport, gives her the rundown of his stay at the Nutcracker Inn, two murders, a heart attack, and a suicide. Yeah, unfortunately, Wendy did actually have a heart attack. Yeah. She is stable. She's going Good, to survive. But she's not, yeah, we don't need another body count. We don't need another one. And yes. the suicide. To recap, one murder of Hackett for his car trunk full of gold nuggets, one murder of Doyle because he might have accidentally photographed the illegal goat prospecting or the lumber, uh, lumbering, Wendy's heart attack at the, at the news of her husband's murder, and Marge's suicide. Polly Jeez. is... Incredulous. Um, and after asking what happened to her antiques dealer, apparently she sent him home to Hawaii, to Ohio, he leaves her to her reunion with her cats, and he goes home to sort, th- sort through Doyle's photographs. And one photograph catches his attention. It's a very cute photograph of a skunk napping in the seat of a forklift. But what is a forklift doing in a nature conservancy? Right. Further examination of this photo reveals clear cutting of valuable hardwood trees, which must have been why he was trying to scout a lumberjack movie, uh-huh. um, and why he had the diamond moving van to, in order to move all of the lumber out of there without being suspicious. Um, a visit from Brody confirms that Joe is being uh, hunted, if that's actually his real name, and they can now add illegal timbering to his crimes along with murder. As an ending flourish, Coco knocks the mustache mug off the table, shattering it into a thousand pieces and scenes. The curtain falls, and... Nobody is satisfied. No. The curtain falls, and I am disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) And yet this is still better than... Than the last couple of ones. It is. It's an improvement, but it's not... Other than the ending, actually, this is is a pretty good mystery, I have to say. Mm Mm-hmm. So, further thoughts aside, um, 
Once again, Quill refers to the Bomba kids um, as brats, and that always bugs me. He calls them brilliant brats, but they're brats. But he calls them brats nonetheless. This makes no sense to me. Mm. Um, Quill's not the type you would leave to babysit. And no, no, I would not. Um, there's some interesting community family dynamics. Quills has an unintentional date for the uh, production of Pirates. Um, it's Kathy, who's a server from the Nutcracker Inn. But it turns out that her aunt, whose last name was Cooper, married Nell Abernathy's cousin, whose last name was Hooper. Someone <laughs> rigged the cake to have fireworks go off behind it at this wedding. But they misfire, and the cake explodes, leading to big weddings in the area being called Hooper Coopers in Moose County parlance. <laughs> this is hysterical. Women are in, the women are in hysterics remembering this event, but for some reason, Quill and Dr. Abernathy don't see the humor in an exploding cake? Come on. This was hysterical. That's... That's a great line. Puritans. I know, something. <laughs> Um, our, our brief encounters with Polly, she went off to tour museum villages on the East Coast with her sister, Mona. Um, Arch at one point asks if Quill has ever met Polly's sisters, because technically there are two, but Mona's the only one she goes on vacation with. Um, and when Quill says no, they jokingly begin to speculate about Polly having a second man in Cincinnati. Which would not be outside the realm of possibility. No, but Polly just doesn't seem like she, she'd have the energy to maintain two, and it's not like she travels. No, that's true. So literally, he, he's, he's living for two weeks that he sees her in the summer? <laughs> I mean, it's the same time last year situation, I know, I exactly. It's just pretty much that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, for one week, we, for one week we get to be ourselves yeah. in Connecticut. Yeah, at Sturbridge Village, which, by <laughs> the way, actually is a lot of fun. Um, I will take your word for it. I've never been. Nice. Maybe I'm just remembering the ice cream that I had after after that trip because we went in the rain. <laughs> anyway, hey, if there's good ice cream, that's yeah, it's true. There, I would get excited for far less. So yeah, true. Uh, we do have some interesting sign of the times because we've le- we've leapt forward technologically dramatically because Quill has a cell phone now. We haven't, yeah, we haven't had any uh, technological uh, touch-ups in the past couple of months. No, I mean, we've seen car phones, but we haven't really had the influx of cell phone. This is the first time that we've seen one. Um, I'm I'm guessing it's one of those giant old... Oh, perfectly really? normal cell phone this is 2000 this this is 2003 so it's you know it's it's an it's a nokia it's probably like a nokia brick okay so not the not not, not the giant yeah. say motorola flip phone or no, whatnot, yeah it, it's not quite a razor he certainly wouldn't be that wouldn't be that <laughs> didn't, no razors came about a year later yes I don't th- uh, but he probably has like the nokia brick i wonder um, what, what what network is in moose county i don't know <laughs> but he, quill does note that moose county is the first in the state to prohibit the use of a cell phone while driving because one of the very first scenes we have is quill pulling off the road to make a phone call that's very very uh conscious of him that's yes mm, interesting an interesting social commentary as well there, too, from uh, you, Miss Lillian Jackson-Brown. Absolutely. <laughs> um, um, less good sides. We have Brody spends a lot of this book complaining about his wife's taste in movies, specifically on Golden Pond, which they've watched three times, and Driving Miss Daisy. Um, his commentary is, he liked the one about the submarine. I'm like, apparently the Moose County video <laughs> store is stuck in the 80s, or at least the Brody's cinematic tastes certainly are. I mean, hell, the, the fact that they still have a video store... I mean, granted, this is still this is two thousand two. We have to think it wasn't that far. I, I still think like the mid two thousands was only ten years ago when it was nope. far longer than that. But yeah. you, you know, DVDs were just becoming a thing. And but- yeah, you still. I, I mean, I still had videos um, when I went to college. I made sure I got one of the TVs that had the video and the DVD slot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. I love My parents still have one of those in their house, and it sits on top of a fancy Blu-ray player. Yep. Um. So I mentioned the Limerick contest. Yes, I and, have been um, look- and it's confirmed that there will be another contest this summer. I'm thinking in the next... Um, well, no, the next book skips ahead quite a bit. Never mind. Um, but we are treated to Limericks throughout this book. Some better than others, but this one was apparently last year's winner. There was a young lady from Burr who always went swimming in fur. One day on a, on a dare, she swam in the bear. And that was the end of her. <laughs> that is good. Um, that is a good one. The other one that I really love um, is actually from Polly. It's an adorable limerick about her female Siamese Kata. Um, And it goes like this. A female feline named Kata is getting fatter and fatter. But she's pretty and purry and funny and furry. So what does an ounce or two matter? Matter. (laughs) Hello, Mata. Yeah. Hello, (laughs) Fada. It was cute. Made me smile. That is very cute. That is very sweet. Uh, we also, Limericks don't have to be dirty, people. Nope. They're a lot of fun. Um, 
there, my dad, uh, fun story about my father. Um, he <laughs> likes to find, uh, he liked to find unusual ways to entertain me on trips. I don't know that he did this with my sister as much, but for me, um, I have spent far too many flights from various locations having to write limericks <laughs> or haikus or something <laughs> that he could get me thinking about to write down. And so I, I swear if I went looking, I'd find notebooks filled with my terrible handwriting um, uh, with limericks about Alaska. I, I remember that one specifically, <laughs> that I know, I know I wrote limericks about Alaska. I, I can see your dad doing just this kind of thing. And it's actually a brilliant idea because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just making the time pass, but it's also getting you to think about something besides the fact that you're on a 10-hour flight or whatnot. Yes, and it's a way to have a conversation, which is nice. Absolutely. No, it's, that is actually quite brilliant. Um, also in this book, uh, Quill's mother's birthday passes, and as a memorial to her, Quill arranges a giant arrangement of daffodils to be displayed at the Nutcracker Inn, inspired by his mother's birthday poem, which is the I Wander Lonely as a Cloud, blah, 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 host of golden daffodils. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this inspires others to think of their birthday poems, which is oh. actually kind of a cute tradition. That is. I hadn't really thought of that. Um... Cats will be cats. We are the cats get a lot of screen time in this book, which I really love. Um, everything from the cabin that they're staying with, Quill mentions it's kind of like being in a cabin on a boat because everything is kind of built in, mm. and there are all these drawers on nylon rollers that sm- that slide really easily. So mm-hmm. cats, um, as their farewell, <laughs> the cats apparently opened every single drawer in the cabin <laughs> because cats. Because cats, <laughs> and I mentioned a really fun cat chase. Mm-hmm. Our darling Yum Yum shows a talent for knowing the exact center of a bed, even if she's underneath it. Huh. As demonstrated when Quill tries to move to the cabin and gets and to and is trying to get Yum Yum into the character, Yum Yum hides under the bed because, of course, she hates the character. Of course, the bed is on casters, and every time Quill moves it, she adjusts to the center, <laughs> and he finally has to chase her out with a broom, and she is not oh, pleased. Jeez, that escalated quickly. It did. But after a while, I mean, you, what else are you going to do? Um, for final thoughts, I mentioned that Lillian Jackson Braun, um, in some of my pre- in my previous uh, in our previous podcast, I mentioned that Lillian Jackson Braun doesn't really make much effort to include the title cutely in the books mm-hmm. anymore. But that does not mean that the person writing the blurb on the back won't, because this book reads: Quill dives into the case, and if he and the cats don't solve it soon, they're going to be up the creek without a paddle. Also, I guess technically Doyle goes up the creek. But well, it's not the cats. It's um, not the cats, but still, but maybe on their walk. I guess something. So I stand somewhat corrected on this one. But still, it's it's closer than it has been in the past couple of ones. Absolutely. There's still not robbing of a bank. There is. There was no robbing of a As bank the, yet. The, the, At least not by the cats. New. And technically they didn't rob, and technically no one robbed a bank. Um, <laughs> exactly. Well, there and, wasn't much of a rat either, so. Yeah. Well, smelling a rat is euphemistical. It's and, euphemistical. And I, and I will give them smelling a rat because Coco did... Yes, kind of lead things there, to the there is uh, that, that guy. yes, but with the, with the literal that she has been taken the other books up until this point, yeah. it's just a bit of a eh, really yeah. okay. Anyway, now speaking of cats, what would be your paw rating for this one? So I would give this one three and a half paws. Really, um, it is the mystery is really compelling. It's not as fleshed out as it could be. I must admit, um, and. More so in this book than anything we've read recently, the Moose County mishmash, all is entwined into the stories. Everything from the tall tales that Quill t- that Quill reads, to um, to to how he's to to where he is and why he's there. Well, in the gossip among the townspeople too, it relates to not just the murder, but also like. Everything else kind of ties together. Exactly. So it's not just seeming like it's a, it's whole separate side story. Yeah. All the gossip about the president of MCCC le- mm-hmm. continuing to lead to Quill's misconception about the Mustache <laughs> Cup Collectors Club. Oh, my God. And honestly, this is some of the funnier writing that she's done. I mean, between the cat chase for Yum Yum, the Mustache Cup scene, um, some of the limericks, there are just, there are way more funny scenes in this that work. And work really well. I mean, my biggest complaint is that the ending feels unfinished. Um, in previous books, we've gotten more of a... We've gotten a little bit of an epilogue that kind of verifies. They caught the bad guy. He was arrested. And everyone went about their business mm-hmm. with a little bit of a preview of the next book. Um, this one just kind of ends with the assumption that everything will turn out. Hmm. 
And that would make it, yeah. So it could have been a, a higher paw rating. It could have been. It, had, it could have been a per. It could have been a perfect book if the ending had been more solid. If it had stuck that land. Yeah, it, it kind of it, it. It carry strugged it. That's a deep cut. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's. <laughs> you, you suck it, but not well. <laughs> and then you go on nine zero two one zero. There you go. Uh, so the future's not all too bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Any other so final thoughts on this? The one? other thing, you know. Some of these clues that we're getting throughout the foot powder and all of that sort of stuff, they're kind of far-fetched. Um, my other, my favorite one that makes absolutely no sense is Log Pirates and Coco's obsession with Pirates of Penzance. And the Pirates of Penzance really running throughout it. Log Pirates, they're stealing the lumber. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. That, that's that's a, a long reach. But I hope she you... established a theme and she stuck to it. So props to that, but I also hope she didn't pull something on that stretch. <laughs> True indeed. So, tr- tr- yeah, props to sticking to your guns. There you go. And seeing it through, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, any other final thoughts on this one? It's going to be interesting to see how these last couple of books settle out. Um, I don't have, you know, as I've said before, we're getting to the, we, we're in the point of the series that I don't have many positive memories of. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten how good this one was um, because I really enjoyed this book. So this one was a very nice surprise. This one was a nice surprise. Um... The next book, the one that we're going to do uh, with with our dear friend Bernie, mm-hmm. um, has one of my favorite random characters. It has one of my many favorite random characters, but certainly the best in these later series. Um, a uh, a woman from Hollywood known as Thelma Thackeray. Thelma Thackeray. Yes. So that'll be fun. We'll get into that in the next podcast. I don't know why I said that with an extra forced lisp when there I did. Go. Thelma I Thackeray. Anyway. It could be a good accent. You'll you'll see later. Um, so we have Moira Rose coming to Moose County in a way. We kind of do. <laughs> Except she's obsessed with parrots and hats. A disgruntled parrot. <laughs> Pelican. I know, but in yes. this case, it's... It's a disgruntled parrot. Exactly. Um, in this anyway, case. <laughs> so it's, it's getting to the point where this... When she sticks to the... I guess the best observation of the end, as we're getting to these final books, when she sticks to the formula that she has established over the previous 20-some-odd books, when she sticks to the formula, the books are fun. Mm-hmm. When she's trying to deviate or adds too much mishmash, then they get a little boring. Doesn't It's not the same, then. Yeah. I understand. So the last couple of books are hit and miss. This one was a hit for me. Good. Well, and we don't have that many more left to go. Yep. We're not in the twilight anymore. We're in the home stretch. We are. All right. So with that, thank you so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Join us next time for The Cat Who Brought Down the House with special guest Bernie Cardell. I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry. I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends. Bye.